Welcome to Food Friends. I'm Carrie. And I'm Sonia. We met in Los Angeles over 15 years ago as private chefs and haven't stopped talking about food since. We created Food Friends to share our stories and recipes with each other and you. We're so glad you're here. Does the thought of hosting a dinner party at home give you butterflies in your stomach? Hey, it's Carrie, and I confess that I still get nervous when I host at my own home. Sure, I've catered lots of parties with clients when I was a personal chef, but I find that because I'm so comfortable in the kitchen, I often overlook many of the details that come into play when hosting at home, like setting up the drinks or setting the table beforehand. I often find myself running around at the last minute feeling very overwhelmed. What I love about this conversation with Sonia is that we talk about hosting in real time as she's preparing dinner for a couple of new friends. She shares the checklist of items that she likes to take care of beforehand, which I found immensely helpful because the truth is I still need support with hosting. I learned so much from this conversation and I believe it will help you too, whether you're a veteran to hosting or preparing for your very first dinner party. There's honestly no one way to host and we can all use support from a fellow food friend. So keep listening to find out how to host a dinner party with ease and grace, or at the very least, ease your anxiety slightly to make it a little more pleasant. And as always, if you have feedback, we'd absolutely love to hear from you. Hi, Sonia. Hi, Carrie. I'm so glad we're talking today because I have something going on and I have a lot of questions for you. Okay, great. Because honestly, I really struggle still with hosting. And you and I talked about having this conversation. I've been thinking about like where some of these things that I do do before people come over to my house. I think there's stuff for us to definitely debate because as always, I don't think there's a right and wrong about anything right. and certainly not for entertaining. I'm no Martha Stewart. I don't want to be Martha Stewart. God bless her. <laughs> she's amazing. She's a legend. She's an icon, but that's not my way of living. And so, I mean, the reason's perfect timing is I'm entertaining tonight. I am having two people over. They're two incredibly accomplished chefs that I- Oh my I, God. I'm so nervous already. I'm so nervous. Okay. <laughs> I Okay, so you know, one of the things I want to start this conversation out with, my own personal nervousness tonight. <laughs> I already but, feel your nervousness. Right? But also, you know, I went to a dinner party last year, a home where I didn't know the people that well, and they were so nervous to cook for me. And they were like, we have a chef coming over, like, oh my God, what do we do? And I could feel their nervousness yeah. and nothing I could say or do would like kind of change that. And I am listening to my own voice in thinking about my own dinner party that when chefs come to your house, they're actually the best guests to have because I don't know a chef that isn't appreciated of a home-cooked meal and yeah. they're not coming to you expecting a restaurant or expecting, you know, Thomas Keller to show you. up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're expecting home cooking. So, yeah. you know, so I always say that to people and it's really true. Like if someone made me hot dogs, I'd be happy. Even if the food isn't, let's say, good, it doesn't matter because the point is the company, the hospitality yeah. and the getting together. So I'm telling myself that, but I do now feel a little bit more empathy for people who get nervous because I haven't felt nervous like this in a while. I'm glad you reminded me of that feeling because actually the first client that I worked for, she very regularly had friends come over. And I remember one night she sort of ran through the kitchen right before dinner and said, oh, by the way, my friends that are coming over, the wife is this really famous caterer in Los Angeles. Yeah. And I was like, Alyssa, I couldn't believe that she just 
dropped that on me. And of course, this woman was completely lovely and wonderful. And even more so that the at the end of the meal, she said, wow, that dinner was so delicious and thank you. And, you know, as a new chef, that meant so much to me. And I said, well, honestly, this woman's name is Lulu. And I said, honestly, Lulu, I was so nervous to cook for you. And she looked me dead in the eye and she said, honey, you could have made me a hot dog and I would have been grateful. And I know that I've shared that with you. I think we've even shared it in a different episode here at some point. But that really has always set me as a guest at other people's house at such ease of like reminding me that, right, just having someone cook you a meal is such a special thing. And it is so intimate when you have someone come to your house though. Especially for the first time. I think part of it too with these guests, neither of them have ever been inside my house. Yeah. Like I've been inside one of their houses. One of them I don't know that well. We've never done anything really that socially together. So it's also that sort of, yeah, that intimacy of like, not only are you coming into my home, but now I'm cooking for you. But I mean, as much as I'm joking about being nervous, there's the other part of me that knows what we're just talking about, that no matter what I make, it's not like they're going to come away and be like, wow, that's Sonia. She really can't cook. And even if they do, what can I do? Like sometimes things go wrong. Like the first time I made Jonathan dinner and scorched the stuffed cabbage, I almost was going to make stuffed cabbage tonight. And then I was like, I can't do it. I can't have a repeat of that. You still have have that memory. I have that memory. It's too close. But I think also as we enter this conversation, you and I both did a lot of dinner parties for people as personal chefs. And I think we both had a lot of nerves for various reasons during during some of those meals, not all of them. But I also want to just recognize that there's such a difference between cooking professionally in someone else's home and cooking in your own home. So I'm really coming at this like I'm the home cook entertaining, not a chef entertaining. Where I always start with everything is menu planning. How am I going to craft a dinner? And I want to get your feedback too, but I just want to say my – and I'm curious if you have the same approach as me, the kind of main things I consider in menu planning is number one, the time of year, what feels right to eat right now. Like what are people going to be in the mood for? One quick example is like I had someone over the day after Christmas. So I knew I didn't want to have a giant heavy meal because everyone's been eating for two right. days. Right. So I was like, okay. And then I think about the ease. What am I going to have to be making last minute, if anything at all? And then I'm thinking also about what produce is in season, what's at the market. I want to back up just slightly and because I love that we're talking about the food piece, but I think hosting is such a bigger job than just cooking a meal. Right. And I think what I struggle with is when it was my job to be someone's personal chef, I had a lot of time and energy that I put into that. And of course, there was always those nerves as guests were arriving. But what I always found was that like I my adrenaline would kick in and and I would execute those dinners and feel like so great about them. But yeah. my only job was to cook the food and serve it. It wasn't to make sure that the candle was on in the bathroom. It wasn't my job to take someone's coat and put it in a different room. It wasn't my job to fill someone's drink. Even if there was, it was a bigger party, there was always a bartender or the host was doing that. So in some ways to me, working as a personal chef, that's almost an easier job cooking the dinner. And being an actual host in your home, there's so many elements 
element, more elements to think about. I think we're going to go through each of those elements. Like I want to talk about all the things you just mentioned. I'm just saying like before I even get to the day of or the day before, before I do anything, me personally, I think about what am I cooking? Yeah. And my my question is always like, what do I want to eat? Right. No, (laughs) but that's true. That is, for instance, we can go to tonight. I was like stuffed cabbage. Well, not only do I sort of not want to do that at the moment because (laughs) of the history of it, but also we just had a dish recently that was so similar to it flavor-wise. We had these like meatballs and red sauce that had all those. And hey, I'm not really in the mood for the same flavors. And then I was like, okay, should I make brisket? I was like, I'm not in the mood for heavy red meat right now. Right. So I did start with what am I in the mood for? What am I in the mood for? Because I know that if I'm excited about the food, it's going to taste great and everyone else will be excited about it. Yes. I have all the same thoughts, which are what time of year is it? What's the weather like? What are people kind of in the mood for? You know, what you just described, having people over the day after Christmas. Oh, I'm not going to make a heavy meal because everyone's been eating heavy meals. I would equally say I wouldn't think of something light and summery like a watermelon mint salad because number one, watermelon's not in season. So it's not going to be very good. And also, even though it's lighter, no one wants a cold piece of watermelon in December. Exactly. So, So you sort of think about what can you offer that feels kind of of the moment. Yeah. Right after Christmas, I actually hosted two different dinners right after Christmas. I had a crazy sort of holiday wow. season of hosting. But one of those meals, what I did is made a Ras El Hanu chicken thigh. That, and then I did roasted squash. I made um, three different kinds of little salads and had pita bread and hummus. So you could make little pita pockets with like a little chicken and everyone could kind of build their own plate. But most of the things were vegetables. And that felt so right for that week. There's this richness element to it, but it's actually lighter. And when you even describe Ras El Hanu, which for, for listeners that don't know what that is. It's a spice mix, like Middle Eastern category, right? I think North African and and Middle Eastern, but it has turmeric and it has warming spices. It sometimes has a little cinnamon or clove, coriander and chili. And so it's a little spicy, a little warming, a little, there's heat. Flavor. It has has a lot of flavor. So even if you're cooking mostly vegetables, that's adding a lot of flavor into that mix. So when you host a dinner party with your menu planning, do you have any kind of rules around it's always a make-ahead dish. Uh, by make-ahead, I mean something that you're not standing over the stove to finish it off before serving. I mean, I think you've honestly just kicked me right in my Achilles heel right now because <laughs> I think this is where I really struggle because I love to cook and I love to be in the kitchen. And so I often think, how can I make someone this exciting dish? And I often don't consider, oh, but when I haven't seen my friend Charlie for six months and she's finally come over to my house and she wants to talk to me and I'm trying to fry fish fillets, that is not really going to work. And so, (laughs) no, I think that's the piece that I'm really always struggling with. And that I, again, I'm really hoping that this conversation will sort of get me over that edge a little bit. So just like the weather and the time of year, the who's coming over is a factor for me and how I set the menu. If you're coming over to dinner and I know we can be in the kitchen together having fun, then I'm really cool with something that has to be made a la minute or at the very last second because then I know Carrie and I can be in the kitchen together while other guests are still having apps and then we're coming in and out and it's all very loose and and joyful. If I have people I I don't know, they're they're not really comfortable in the kitchen, I already know that. I tend to veer towards a menu where it's I know I can just either stick it in the oven right before they arrive or make it ahead and warm it up or things that can simmer on the stove. You know, a braise is such an ideal dinner party dish. Yeah, Even for you, I would make a braise depending on the occasion because it is something that tends to only get more 
tender as it kind of sits in a warm oven or a low oven. And it almost always tastes better if you make it a day or two ahead of time. I love a brisket for these reasons. There's a lot of good chicken braises or like a tagine, like a kind of root vegetable Moroccan stew or chili. But I kind of wanted to talk to you about this because I had a feeling that you make more a la minute things, things, you know, right in the moment. I don't know. I think because we've talked about enough dinners where I'm like, wow, Carrie had to make carbonara. (laughs) Carrie made fish fillets at home. Yeah. So I have a similar thing. Can I tell you about my menu for tonight? Yeah. I want to know about your menu because I think that you always think more practically about this stuff. And I will also say generally when I entertain, my approach is incredibly casual. I'm inviting my closest friends over like the carbonara dish that you just described. I was actually making that at my friend. And Annie and John's house. Right. Like I, I have so many friends that just let me cook at their house too, and so- let you cook. <laughs> get the get the joy of having you cook, but the well, gift of your cooking. Not everyone is willing to go into that place with people. Yeah, and also we know each other so well that like I know their kitchen really well. And but yeah, and and, and even the filet fish dinner. It's, that was my birthday lunch, and so everyone was coming over to have my favorite fried fish sandwiches or whatever. But I don't remember the last time I had someone at my house that was formally needed to be seated and considered with all of those things. Generally, people, everyone knows this is where the drinks are. This is where the dinner is. See, I have such a range of people who will come over to dinner. Even this year, like I said, I've had a lot of first timers <laughs> over for dinner. Yeah. But okay, so I want to tell you about the menu, what yeah, I landed I on for tonight. Because this is also where I think we shine. You throw ideas at me. I react to them. We debate them because it requires so much trust and history. And also to your point, that you made at the very beginning, there are actually no right answers. No. Yeah. There no, are there's no, right no like Carrie has the perfect solution to this dinner party. Actually, the perfect solution is something that you and I come up with together. So this is, this yeah, is one of what, my favorite things. What feels right to each of us. So I landed on this. It's very, very cold right now. I actually asked my guest, I said, is there anything you've ever dreamed of me cooking for you? What a great question. Will you ask me that question next time I come to visit you? <laughs> <laughs> for sure. I will. You know what my answer is going to be? It's not noodles and cottage cheese. Cottage cheese noodles? (laughs) That's what I want. And I wouldn't want to make them. Oh my God. Okay. She has tried some of my food before and I had brought something to her house once. And so she said, can you please make me schug again, which is that Yemenite hot sauce. I love it. You know, that's, it's a condiment. It's not a whole meal. And then she followed with like, we love soups and salads and braises. And we basically, they love everything. They love everything. And they have zero dietary restrictions. So it's 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 harder. It's, it's almost, almost like the world is bigger. The world is so big that there's sometimes I love the people who are like, yes, the husband only eats meat. The wife is a complete vegan. The children only eat potatoes. Yes. And, and like, where can you find a meal that you can f- feed them all? I know that is kind of fun. It's so, fun. So this is very much the world is your oyster. I landed on this. I was like, I want Tug to go somewhere. And I started thinking about the different things that could go on. I want to riff on the ca- cabbage farro soup. You know, I love the soup. We've yeah. talked about it in the cabbage yes. episode and other episodes. I love that soup. I love it in winter. I love cabbage. A soup on a very cold night with a spoonful of spicy herbaceous Tug, which has, in this case, jalapeno, a cap serrano. It has tons of cilantro. It has tons of cardamom and parsley and garlic. And so it's not quite like 
like a pesto or a chimichurri. It has a totally different flavor profile. And that in a soup, which I've had before, goes so well. It adds a little kick to the soup. And freshness. And freshness. There's freshness with all those herbs too, which the soup that you're describing, it's like a warm sweater. The softest, coziest sweater in a soup form. And when you make that soup, you can make that a day or two ahead. So that's exactly and okay. the soup. So I, right? made the, I made this hug yesterday. I also made dessert yesterday. I'm going to make this the soup this morning or early today. Just have it done. Okay. Um, actually, I'll tell you dessert and then I'll circle back to the main course. When I, I love I need that advice. you made dessert and the sauce and yeah. the, you're making the soup. Ahead of now time. you're leaving the main to like day. Okay. The dessert I landed on, they love my chocolate chip cookies. I know that, but I've given it to them many, many times. And I was like, I know I can't go wrong. You cannot go wrong with those chocolate chip cookies. So I've been in a real chocolate dipped orange phase the past few weeks because the Kara Kara oranges are around. It's citrus season. And I love it as a light dessert, especially so those winter holidays I was telling you about, those dinners. I was just making chocolate covered oranges for dessert. This is the perfect dessert. It's something refreshing, something chocolatey. It's not heavy after all the, you know, sweet treats. But I wanted to take it up a notch because, you know, so I have this recipe. um, It's in my book for a Kara Kara olive oil cake. Yeah, The olive oil cake is something that always kind of tastes better the next day. Very orangey, citrusy cake. And then I'm going to garnish it with little chocolate oranges. So the cake is done. And it's a one bowl cake. I'm going to make this cake. It's so simple and it's so fun. And Okay. So my main course, I landed on schnitzel. Because schnitzel also tastes good with schug if they want to keep it going, but also tastes good with a fennel salad on top, which is oh the salad. Oh my gosh. Yes, please. So I'm going to make a shaved fennel salad, but here's where I have a question for you. Schnitzel is obviously always best fresh the second you fry it, but you can absolutely reheat it too. And so I was sort of envisioning I would fry it all off well before they got here and then just reheat it. But yeah. am I going to lose too much texture? No. You don't think it's going to dry it's gonna out? It's going to be fine. You think it's going to be fine? It's going to be totally fine. Yeah. In fact, it, what I would even do is maybe make it like a slightly thicker, like a quarter of an inch thicker than what you might regularly do it. I will say I've tested out this idea before. I made like a chicken milanese. Basically, oh, yeah. you know, same thing. Same thing. During the pandemic, you know, when no one was seeing each other, we went with another family to this event at the Rose Bowl. It was a dinosaur situation where you like drove your car through like all these dinosaurs that they had out. Fun. And then after we drove through the dinosaurs, we parked our cars in the parking lot and had like a a holiday dinner, which included the chicken schnitzel milanese that I had wrapped up in foil and I had baked, you know, shells with, with kale and greens. It was kind of still warm and it actually was perfect. I mean, okay. I obviously I wasn't reheating it, but it totally worked to just make it earlier in the day and then serve it later. Yeah. And I have reheated schnitzels before because actually we did meals to go at the restaurant that involved right. schnitzel. I, so I can't make it any thicker. That was such a good tip. I wish I had made the cut. I've already like cut up and pounded the cutlets because I just wanted to get that done ahead of time too and have that out of the way because you can do this in stages. I think thick is very smart for this. Thicker than a slightly thicker cutlet than normal. But I do think what I've done in the past and I'm really glad you're giving me permission to not like have it be the most perfect version of schnitzel. But what I've done in the past is I'll just slightly keep it less brown like it's cooked through. Right. But then I just leave it a little tiny bit under golden so that it can just 
crisp up. And honestly, when people are coming to schnitzel or milanese or any of these fried pieces of chicken, they don't care about the chicken. They care about the fried part. You want it to be crispy and that's what people are going to care about. And they're not going to be like, oh, wow, this is two notches too dry. Like no one is going <laughs> to think that at all. Don't you have fears around drying food out? I just, especially chicken? Yes and no. I also okay. think people are, again, so grateful to be there and have food cooked for them. And they're not going to write you a Yelp review and say, wow, that chicken was so dry. If it's too dry, then they'll scoop some of the salad on top of it or they'll drizzle, drizzle it with some zook or they'll ask for ketchup. I have a seven-year-old and when he's like, oh, can I have some ketchup with this? I'm like, you know what? If that's what gets you eat it, I don't really care. Right. No, but Jonathan loves it with ketchup. Oh, he'll probably hate me for saying that. But, <laughs> but I do think that you're right. And I think overall what I've described to you is every single thing on my menu can be made in advance. Yeah. Even like a day in advance. So I have stuff to do today, like talking to you. Yeah. And so I was really thinking, how can I make this as easy on myself as possible, which is a segue into my next topic. I'm so focused on food. You know, I get so like, okay, the food, the food and the timing of the food and how it all tastes that sometimes the other elements of entertainment or less forefront of my mind. And I've been trying to get better at it. So one of the things I started doing this year that's helped me with entertaining and making it easier is I set the table in the morning or the night before. I think that's brilliant. I think that's the smartest thing to do. And that's like a challenge for me because I only have one table and we eat all of our meals at the same table. So I think that that is always the thing that pops up for us, for me and for James, my husband, when we're entertaining people. It's like, oh, right someone needs to set the table. And because we're in California, we luckily have most months of the year we get to eat outside and we do have a really big table outside in our backyard. But especially in the colder months, that idea of having the table set, it would create so much more peace for me as a host. We only have one table too, unless we're hosting outside. But even if I'm using the table in the day, at the very least what I do is like get every single napkin out, give every single place setting out, get every single cup out that I want, get the tablecloth out if I'm using that or placemats if I'm using that so that it's all just sort of set up to go so that even if you haven't physically set the table, you basically set the table. I'm not a big like go to the florist person. I'm not Ina Garten in this respect. I'm not getting, you know, my amazing florist to put together like a bouquet of tulips. But what I love to do is find little bits and bobs. So like, you know, a sprig of rosemary I might put in a tiny vase or I'll put if I have some extra persimmons or pomegranate, I'll put that on the table so that there's just like a little bit of color or life, which is like what is already around to make it easy, especially when you're just doing a kind of casual night. It's not Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's another great way to think about it. Honestly, Sonia, it really sounds so simple and such common sense to say, oh, I gather up all the napkins and the plates and all the things and just set them out even if I haven't set the table. But I just don't even do that because I still don't necessarily think of myself as that full host. I still think of myself as the cook. And, yeah. and and James and I, I think, are still finding our rhythm as entertainers together in that way. They also know where the napkins are. The whole thing, too, to have your friends involved in the hosting is equally lovely. And like when my family comes or when you come or my best friends come, that I'm not setting a table in advance. We are all communally hosting together. I'm actually like you, and I've had to really train myself this, but it came – I just feel so good when it's already set. It like 
puts me in a good mood. And so I don't think this is like a requirement for hosting, but I start to take real pleasure in it. And the way I've kind of trained myself to start doing it is I like to-do lists. So for any dinner party, I make lists and I just always put set the table as a to-do. Today, I'm not having a fancy dinner. I'm literally having two friends over. It's truly, they may be accomplished chefs, chefs, but this isn't a big event. But I did. I was like, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll put a candle on. I'll have little decorations. I'll bring out my favorite napkins that you gave me for our wedding, Carrie. Um, <laughs> I'm going to take out my favorite wine glasses, like those things. I'm just going to do all that. I do think it's been helpful. Honestly, that sounds so helpful to me. And I think what you're also describing, in some ways, you're creating more pleasure in the process. Yeah. You no, know, And I think that's where it really resonates with me because I do love to cook and I love to plan menus and to think about what do I want to eat and what do I want to share with my friends and what you're really offering is a way to increase that pleasure of that process and I will say one of the ideas that I wanted to also offer you know if you're someone who doesn't love the cooking you can outsource the cooking and if you really love drinks for instance you can really get into making special drinks or picking out cool wines for people and I don't know if that's something that you have also ever thought about or done oh I love we're talking about drinks because of all the categories, this is where I don't excel. What I would love to offer is like a specific example that I recently experienced. It was honestly so awesome. So my sister-in-law was hosting a birthday party for my brother-in-law and they were hosting it at their home. And she herself is a great cook, but he is really into drinks. And so what they did was they set up a make your own Negroni bar and they had printed out a sign that had very clear instructions. They had all these really great little glasses. They had a bowl of, I think what you would call like a whiskey ice cube, those large ice ice cubes. Yeah. It's like, it sort of looks like a baseball or, you know, or it can be like a square, but it's not, it's a bigger ice cube so that doesn't melt as quickly. And then they were like, here are the steps to making a great Negroni. But within those three steps, there were all these options. You could use gin and there were like several different varieties of gin that you could use, but then and they also offered like you could do like a mezcal Negroni. Really? Yes. And then there was step two and then there was step three. But each of these steps, in case people mixed up the bottles, the bottles also had numbers on them. First step one, these are step two options. These are step three options. Yes. And then you can pick one, two, three, and then it doesn't matter which ones, twos, or threes you pick. Exactly. But the other- That's so smart. It's so smart and so fun. But here's- This is why also my sister-in-law I think is so brilliant is she also thinks about the user experience. Right. And so they- had four jiggers that were set out. They had this all like out on their counter and then she had laid a tablecloth down. But of course, if there's like a jigger on the tablecloth and people are using it and putting booze in it, then it's getting like drippy and gross. And so then she also put this really beautiful tray. All the jiggers were lined up on a tray. And so you just pick up your glass and get your ice, pour equal amounts of each of these three things. And then as you moved down the line, almost like a buffet, then there was this really beautiful bowl full of oranges and lemons and then a vegetable peeler. And so you then you peeled yourself citrus 
peel and added that to your drink and then you were set to go. What I love about this is multiple things. I love that it creates an interaction. So where the guest feels like they're in a way part of the experience of creating the meal. Yes. And I do think that's a really fun element of hosting. If you can do that, sometimes you can do that by having them help you in the kitchen. Some people love really love to host by assigning kitchen tasks to people. Yes. And I'm all for that if that's your thing. But I love this because it's like, it's the same idea, but then you can extend this. Negronis are a great option, but for a brunch, you could do a Bloody Mary bar. You could do tonic and soda bar and you could have non-alcoholic bitters so that people who don't drink add their bitters and you, so that it's just so contained and fun. I love this idea. Well, I will say for me, there are two very specific takeaways. One was my brother-in-law is, he's a brilliant drinks maker. His palette and my palette are different. I got to customize my own drink. I got to choose. By the way, I'm fine with gin, but I didn't want gin. I did, I made like a mezcal one. But what it also did was it taught me how to make a Negroni. I left that party kind of being like, I can do this. And honestly, it was such a a delicious drink. The second time I went back, I tried a different version. The the other piece that I wanted to offer, because they put so much thought into this, into this drinks experience, they outsourced all the food. So smart. So they had like someone making tacos in the back and then her mom also made all the cakes for, for the birthday. It was such a grand slam home run of every level. That's sort of a perfect segue to my approach to appetizers. And in general, like my approach to dinner parties, I don't really believe in making every single element of a dinner party, I really do believe on making it easy on yourself, which means like if dessert is a Sunday bar or even an element of your main meal that you didn't make because you don't want to or because someone does it better or because yeah. you're more interested in setting up a Negroni bar. Like I, that is my personal philosophy is don't make every single thing from scratch. But I especially apply this to appetizers. First of all, I don't want my guests to fill up on appetizers. I don't like very complicated charcuterie boards where it's like suddenly you've eaten four pounds of salami and you're like not hungry anymore. Right. You know, I really think of apps as the place to curate ready-made delicious things and and pick two to three in season fruit or some great marinated olives that I found or some beautifully toasted nuts that, you know, I picked up or spice nuts or or a really good piece of cheese. I keep it simple. So simple. So simple. You do the same? Yes. Yeah. You don't want to take away from the main and you don't want people to be so full that they can't even, you know, enjoy what is coming next. And especially if you are also planning to serve dessert, you need to help your guests pace themselves, you know? Right. Yeah. And that sort of brings me to pacing because I think this is the other thing I've had to teach myself because I sort of when you're in chef mode, when you're in client mode, you kind of have to go by their schedule. We'll want this first and then after 30 minutes, we'll want this. And like, so you're not really usually the one in charge. Like we start arriving at this time, we're going to do cocktail art, whatever the the client wants. I've had to learn to shift into, oh wait, I set the time. Everyone is looking to you to say what's the next thing that we're doing exactly. So I have a kind of template. I always have two or three tiny little nibbles on the table when people come in the door, like in the living room. I offer drinks. We can sit for about 30 minutes. I time my meal so that it's around 30 minutes after the guests arrive and I account for all guests to be 10 to 15 minutes late potentially. Right. You do this kind of thing. I don't want them to wait too long either. I think making people wait for an hour to eat when they're coming to your house for dinner, it's too much. And then I also like to let things linger a little bit between courses and then a little longer for dessert. I think that's a great thing to always think about with the pacing of it. To know who's coming to your house, like if you know someone is always late or if you know that they're really, really prompt, 
you know, like what such a good point. I mean, in in a city like Los Angeles, traffic can be so unpredictable. So we actually have some family members that live about an hour away. They are planners. They're not like most people in LA, which like get on the road and then you're always late. Yeah. Like they get on the road early and then sometimes they come early and then you're like, I'm still in my pajamas. You know, (laughs) I have learned so much in this conversation, but I feel like we could really go much more in depth. I have been entertaining for so many years as a chef, but I really still struggle with it as a hostess. And I always learn so much from you. And I also learn from even just from going to this party at my brother and sister-in-law's house. Right. And it really comes as a surprise to me that home entertaining is still something you get nervous about or struggle with because I always think of you as such an amazing hostess. (sighs) I've been to your house for meals. I've been a guest in your house for a week. And I just think of you as such a thoughtful and experienced, accomplished hostess. It didn't it wouldn't even occur to me that you would even have that thought. But I think that's why it's so helpful to have this conversation because I think people don't realize that everyone's just like everyone else. We're all in the same boat. We all have the same human experiences. And I bet even Martha Stewart has her moments. I'm sure she does. I think we all do. And I I think that's also part of the excitement of it. And, And I'll say as a chef, like I always felt that even when I had been working for clients, there's always that rush of adrenaline. Right. The first guests are arriving and that moment of, okay, it's here. Like, let's get it. Let's get it going. In some ways, if you cross this threshold from like the everyday into this special experience that you're trying to create, but what you also realize is you're co-creating with your guests too. That's right. As we wrap up, the best piece to leave you with, because you're about to go be a host tonight, is that your energy sets the tone. You're relaxed. They're going to be relaxed. And they're so happy to be in your home. I've been a guest in your home many times. I've spent a week at your house. It's so warm and so comfortable and so cozy. I wish I was the one knocking at your front door tonight. (laughs) I feed you a lot of schnitzel. (laughs) I would be so thrilled to eat all the schnitzel. Well, thank you for saying that. It's a mutual appreciation. But I think that's the right note to end on, which is whatever makes you feel relaxed is actually the main ingredient in hosting. Well, this has been so helpful. There's definitely more to talk about, so I'm sure we can share more tips along the way. Have a great dinner party tonight. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for being our food friend. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, leave us a review, and share this episode with friends. We love hearing from you, so follow us on Instagram or drop us a line at foodfriendspodcast.com. Yes, we'd love to hear from you and your food friends. Happy cooking and eating.